Welcome in. This is 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman. Very, very special one. I'm stoked about this. I've got Greg Ducharme here. Greg, we talk a lot, uh, multiple times a week, but this is the first uh, Greg Ducharme sighting on 300 Yards to Unknown. So thank you very much for coming on. Um, of all the of all the golf podcasts out there, 300 Yards to Unknown, I think, is one of the most creative names of a podcast. So kudos to that. I love the name. I absolutely love the name. And the a part of the other thing I love about it, Rick, is it's very um you gotta be a golf, you gotta know. Yeah. You're you're like if somebody's a fan, if somebody gets that name, you know already, okay, this guy's on my level. He knows he's checking shot tracker, he yes. watches just like me. Uh numbers golf, which I love. So uh, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um it, it's really an honor. Thank you. Somebody told me that um, Bryson is going to like break it and, and I'm going to have to change the name to like 350 yards to unknown because that's, <laughs> that's what everybody's going to be driving. Hey, he still hits three woods to unknown. Okay. <laughs> he definitely does. And then the other thing is people will then uh, grab a screenshot and tweet it at me when someone is like 301 yards to unknown or Webb Simpson hit it exactly the other week. And I was like, yeah, that guy. <laughs> I've seen those. It's great. Uh, Greg, people, uh, listen, they hear you everywhere. They see you everywhere. You're on course record with, with Michael Breed. You're, you're constantly on the radio. But what I don't think even gets discussed enough is that you are literally, I'm not even exaggerating, one of the best young teachers in America, uh, according to Golf Digest. Like that, that is something that we probably don't tap into enough on like the first cut, but I know that you do in the studio. Studio and, and on radio, but that's something that like is incredibly valuable that I want to pick your brain about this, this time. Well, thank you, Rick. Um, <laughs> so, um, teaching instruction, coaching is my background. That's where I kind of got my start. It's how I got into all of this stuff. So, um, the perspective I always bring to the first cut, uh, to our DFS preview is always from an instruction based. So that that's my, it's my background. It's the first thing in my first jobs, my first interest, my first passion, uh, was really teaching the game. So, um, and then I, I also love the PGA tour. And part of that comes from, watching them swing and studying their swings and trying to understand what the best players in the world and through history have done to be successful. Um, and you become fans of these guys. And so now all of a sudden you have uh, fantasy golf becomes an option. All these other platforms become an option and you get to talk about them. And so uh, um, it's really cool. And what golf instruction has done for me is amazing because it's created a career, uh, a, a kind of a different career path that I didn't expect. So um, extremely grateful. I love, I love coaching golf. I love talking about it, maybe even more than actually doing it. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm psyched about it. Do you think being an instructor, an instructor makes you like, like almost appreciate what the pros do even more, right? I, I think recreationally and, and, and when you start playing golf, or, or teaching it, you know how hard it is. And it's easy for me to watch a guy in the NBA uh, miss a free throw. But if I went out there and tried to shoot 100 free throws, I probably wouldn't be all that good at it either. You know what I mean? Does it give you a different level of appreciation kind of being yeah, on the inside of it? Absolutely. And the other thing about being a coach, um, especially if you're a PGA member like I am, you have to play to some degree. So yes. most coaches, most PGA professionals come to the game through playing the game. So at some point, you're a good player. Uh, and I, I'm a, a good player. I consider myself a good player. I'm a, about a scratch player, 
But when I compare myself to PGA Tour players, <laughs> just, well, watching them is one thing. But if you, if you get a chance to play with them or watch them hit balls on the range, you're you're blown away. And just yeah. to give you a little, for instance, I, I had a chance a couple of years ago to play with um, with Bud Cauley and a bunch of guys who are were trying to make it. They're not even tour players. And I have countless stories about how good those guys are. But I go play with Bud Cauley at Medalist. It's a 25. The wind's blowing 25 miles an hour, which is somewhat normal down there. But it's it's blowing. And this is a hard golf course. I was playing as a marker and um, a member member, I think it was. So the course is tuned up. Greens are flying. It's it is uh, as as good as it gets. And he goes out there and like hits a couple of very strange shots on the very first hole. Hits it in a bunker, hit chunks it out of the bunker, comes up short of the green, pitches it onto like 20 feet. Well, he makes it. I hit it in the fairway. I have an iron. <laughs> I come I miss the green and I make bogey. And he hit these. And then so the round goes on after he got that one shaken out. It was just full of good shot, good shot, good shot every day. Now, this is Bud Cauley. He's not a superstar by any means, but he he makes a living on the PGA tour. Um, and and so I'm watching him play and I'm thinking in part, I can, I can hit it with this guy. We're right. a similar distance, right? We're hitting the same clubs into greens. Our ball flight is his ball flight. Isn't like blowing mine out of the water by any means. And all of a sudden we get to the last two holes. Again, we're right there with each other. Every, every tee shot. And all of a sudden he hits it 50 yards by me at Lee. And that may be generous on my side. He hits it 50 yards by me on 18 and one. It was a shotgun start. We started on two 18 and one. All of a sudden he like flips a switch and hits it 50 by me. And I was like, where did that come from? And then you start adding up the score. And I know what my, I know what, what kind of score I'm shooting. I shot like 76 and he shoots 66 and he did not, he did nothing. He didn't make very many putts. He didn't hit very many memorable <laughs> shots, but, and he beats me by 10. And so then I start thinking, well, that's one round. I played well, and I shot 76. He shoots 66 and didn't look like he played well. But let's say we play that way every time. So in the second round, now all of a sudden, instead of beating me by 10, now he's beating me by 20. And I'm going to get cut. But let's say I, well, let's say, uh, I make it into a World Golf Championship. And so we're playing four <laughs> rounds. I love this he idea. beats me by 40. <laughs> All of a sudden he beats me by 40. And so the, the level uh, that they play at is hard to comprehend. It really is. Um, and again, yeah. it's not, a, it, it's not like I was playing with Justin Thomas, a top player in the, this is, I say that cause he went to Alabama too, but this is like kind of a, 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 a journeyman PGA tour player who is, head and shoulders above a scratch player head and shoulders. So yeah, it gives me a lot of appreciation. It, it, it really is amazing. And if you ever get an opportunity to go out and watch the guys, I mean, I, go watch a corn fairy tour event. Those guys hit. It, it's like, I've never seen anybody hit balls like that. And they are grasping for, for jobs and it's, and it's unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. stuff. Um, let's, let's recalibrate because I imagine the vast majority of listeners, myself included, this is basically a, a thinly veiled opportunity to get like swing tips and like instruction from you. On the all spot. you got to do is call me, Rick. I'm, 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 I'm all yours whenever you need. So what I, I think there's a couple of interesting paths that we want to go down here. And I want to, I want to kind of start very, broad because I don't know what your answer is going to be. And I think that that might give us kind of 
like a, a, a good a good starting point. So, um, what what do you think is the biggest mistake that let's say recreational players make? These might be players who are ten to twenty handicaps guys that go out maybe once a month on the weekend, knock it around. What's their biggest mistake that they make on the golf course? Oh, uh, this is a this is a good one, Rick. So I want to answer this with a question to you. Oh God, what do you think is the most important? thing that determines the direction that your ball travels in oh okay so so you have like i've uh, like club i've like club path i've like club face yeah like okay so angle of attack speed what 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 do you think is the most important i i i would say it's path but i'm i'm not super stoked about that answer (laughs) yeah well that's exactly the point because that's what everybody says everybody thinks path even people even people who say face they say, okay, club face is the most important thing. Um, well, what do you, what do you work? What do you do to solve your slice? Well, I got to stop coming from over the top. So the ant, they, they say face because they think that's the answer, but <laughs> right. they act and they try to correct their path. Right. So every, the, the biggest mistake that players who try to self-correct their game make is they think about path when face is, as I say, King club face is King. So if you can control the face, you can control the ball. There used to be a saying, um, and and a long time ago, the PGA of America had their ball flight laws out there, which uh, you know was created by quote very reputable coaches. But the common thought was the face bends it, but the path sends it, which means the path controls the start line and the face controls the curve. Hmm. But through technology and studying and researching and looking at what actually happens to a golf ball when it's struck, we've learned that the face is much more important and the face actually controls the start line. Um, and in some cases, depending on what club, depending on the loft on the club, it can control up to 95% of the direction of a start line would be with the putter. So if club or if face is king, are there ways that us recreational players, us guys who are not grinding a hundred shots a day, like what can we do to, 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 to help correct the face? What can we do to control the face better? So this is a great question to control the face. First, the first thing you got to do is understand how to diagnose what's wrong with the club face. Okay. Hmm. So you have to look at your ball, what the ball does in the air, not what you feel. You got to look at it through arbitrary eyes and say, okay. Um, and that was probably the wrong word, but you got to look at it objectively and right. say, okay, the, the golf ball is going to the right. Where was the face pointed to the right? Okay. So if, if the ball goes in a certain direction, the face at impact was pointed there. Now, when you want to solve the problem and you want to correct it, you got to now determine, well, when, when are you going to correct it? And the three mm-hmm. options are you can correct it at address. Oh, you can okay. correct it in the backswing. Yeah. You can correct it in the downswing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll ask you, Rick. I love this so much. I feel like I'm reading like uh, how to play golf book, but it's like on audible and it's your voice just in my, in my head. This is amazing. Yeah. It's golf my way. <laughs> by, uh, like Greg Ducharme. Yes. I, I'll steal Jack Nicholas's uh, book name, but okay. so I so ask three, you that question. Three, okay. So the question is, which of where should I be correcting it? Yeah. When do you, when, where do you want to correct it in the, at address? I mean, backswing I, or downswing. I would assume address would be 
easiest because listen, I trying to correct it in motion seems scary to me, but also a lot of what I think about in my golf swing is getting back to the starting position a little bit. So I feel like if I corrected it at a dress, I would try to return it to that position in my swing. Okay. So you're absolutely right. Um, okay. Good job. You're now one for two. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, this so is like you, me you, actually, actually in school, one for two. Right. <laughs> yeah. Next, uh, next question I ask, if you could raise your hand, I'll call on you. <laughs> yes. Or yeah. maybe somebody else. But anyway, Rick, um, when, when you make adjustments, anytime you make an adjustment, you always want to look to pre-swing first. Mm. which is address, right? It, what, what can I solve in my setup position? Because that is the easiest place to solve it. And whether you're practicing eight hours a day, like a tour player or once a month, like some of you watching or listening, you're, um, you're going to want to make it as easy and as simple as possible. And don't confuse that for laziness. It's not, it's not necessarily laziness. It's efficiency which we always want to be efficient. And if you can math, if you can make your golf swing as simple, as repeatable, as effective as possible, you can start to spend your time improving in other areas. So it's not a, a laziness thing. We just, we want to be as efficient as possible. So what do you do in the address position to affect the club face position? Um, do you have any ideas, Rick? Well, okay. So, so I'll use like my real world example. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm slicing it, if I'm losing it out to the right uh, at address, I think that, uh, I would probably try to strengthen my grip a little bit. Now, I don't know if that is really correcting the club face or if it's just changing my grip. Like, I don't know if I should be, I don't, I mean, drivers lay pretty, pretty flat themselves. Like, I don't know if I should be actually changing the face or if that grip is good enough. No, the grip, it, it, the grip will correct the face. Okay. So again, now there's an order of operations. So what, what you're looking for when you make an address position is to affect the backswing position, which will <laughs> then affect the downswing position, right? right? So you're setting off a chain of events and ultimately when I, when I see a student or see someone swing, the first place that I look after a dress is the top of the backswing. Mm. The position at the top of the backswing is very important. I mean, you're looking at the whole thing, but, but you want to look at the top of the backswing and see where the club face is. First thing I look at. And if the toe of the club points down to the ground, that's an open club face. When you watch a Colin Morikawa, a Dustin Johnson, a John Rahm, uh, name another top player for me, uh, they they play where the club face points to the sky, and the whereas uh, a Justin Thomas oh, is a guy who his okay. toe point he has a little bit more toe hang. It's not open, but it's not closed. But but many of these top players now play with a closed face and the in the backswing, yet they hit a fade. Um, which is awesome. Um, but anyway, so when you adjust the grip, when you bring the club up to the top, uh, it will pre pre present a more closed club face. And so now, once you've done that, you don't have to close it in the downswing. So that's the biggest problem, ah. especially slicers have. And and it all ultimately it goes to people who hit hooks, people who hit it fat, people who hit all kinds of misses come from an open club face at the top, because now when the club's moving, it's fastest in the downswing. You're spending your time trying to close it, trying to square it. Whereas 
John Rahm, how does he hit a ball? It's, you get this question all the time. How does he hit it so far with such a short swing? He doesn't have to manipulate the face at all because he sets it in the backswing and he turns his body through the strike as fast as he can. He doesn't have to worry about timing. He doesn't have to worry about anything. There's no manipulation. It's all power. Uh, now I'm Googling John Rahm top of swing, Colin Morikawa top of swing. Yeah, I, I see that to me. When you when you first described that at like what an open club face is at the top, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's like the right that's like the right position to be in. No, right, I, I, it is, it is. And that, that's you. That oh, you apparently have seen a video of your swing before. Yeah, that's what you yeah, do. exactly. Okay, that's good to know. So so in an ideal world, um, you know, weekend hackers, us guys, we go out there. You know, we would get an instructor to look at this. But if we can't get an instructor to look at this, is there enough? Is there enough in this kind of? tweaking with the grip, trying different things that we can just kind of mess with on the range and see what works and what doesn't over a bucket of balls. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to, this is, this is important because you got to understand, you got to define what works. Yes. Okay. So you don't want to get into a position where you're expecting just straight shots. Excuse me. This isn't about hit, especially if you're correcting a flaw. So let's say you're a slicer. Your goal isn't to take your slice and make it go straight. Right. Your goal is to take your slice and learn how to reverse the side spin. So instead of spinning it to the right for a right-handed player, well, let's remove slice. If your ball's curving to the right, you want to learn how to make it curve to the left, work right. in opposites. Okay. And when you can do that, that's what you want to do on the range. So let's say, Rick, you're a slicer. Every shot you hit is curving to the right. You strengthen your grip. And then in the backswing, you try to get the club face closed a little bit more. Okay. You mm -hmm. bow your wrist a little bit, get a little Dustin Johnson in there. You take your left yeah. wrist. You're going to bow it a little. You're going to make the face more closed, more closed, more closed, and try to make it curve to the left, which it will if it's closed enough. If it doesn't curve to the left, you got to close the face more hmm. or strengthen your grip more. And then from there, the next couple of practice sessions, you want to see everything going left. And then from there, it's much easier to straighten it out. So as I want to go deeper down this, um, the, the practice idea, because to me, I, I assume, and I'm guilty of this as well. Um, most of us are not as efficient with our practice as we should be, or we are practicing the wrong things. And I think that comes in a lot of different buckets. I know like one of the things I've heard, and I, it might've been on, on, Mark Immelman's podcast, he had somebody on where it was like amateurs or recreational players should be practicing two lengths of putts, uh, five footers and 35 footers. That's it. Because those are the biggest differences between you and the pros. The pros make every five footer amateurs miss a lot more of them and every pro gets down from 35 feet in two. And that's when amateurs start to three putt, but really most guys from 20 feet pros or not are getting down in two. So there's like an effective, an effectiveness of your, of your practice. So I know for me personally, uh, it's easy to go to the range and just start banging driver and seeing what happens. Right. But I imagine there are better ways or maybe more efficient ways to take strokes off my score. If I was practicing other things, the, the first key to deciding how you're going to practice is evaluating. Okay. So take that, um, <coughs> excuse me, take what you heard on Mark's podcast. Okay. We want to make sure that, um, we're practicing from these two vicinities. Well, if you're an expert from 35 feet, you don't really three putt. 
Right. Um, well, that may not be your most effective way to practice. So you have to evaluate your own game first. And I like to, when you play, just try to make notes of a couple things. So one, you're going to divide your game into buckets. Mm-hmm. So how, how am I doing with full swing? Much like the strokes gain metrics you talk yep. about all the time, Rick. What, how am I doing off the tee? Well, I missed uh, a bunch of fairways all to the right. Or I don't hit it any. I have no distance. The ball doesn't go anywhere. Or uh, I, I snap hook three tee shots and I slice four tee shots. You got to understand, well, what is the problem? Right. And what is the biggest problem? That's your next step. And I recommend, of course, if you can uh, have a coach, a PGA professional, look at your game. If you can take a lesson, at the very least, understand what your biggest problem is, you can go on the journey to fix it. Hmm. Because the biggest problem that amateurs have, uh, recreational players, I should say, have in their practice is not that they practice too much full swing or, or not enough putting or the wrong length putts or, the, or not enough short game. The biggest problem is they don't stay to the plan. So it's not what goes wrong in one practice session. It's what goes wrong over a period of practice sessions because you have to develop skill. So let's take the tip I just gave you about strengthening your grip and bowing your wrist in the backswing. If you want to do that, what what you're going to do if you're like every other recreational player is you're going to go try it and then the next time you're going to try something different. Yes, correct. That's exactly. And you're what not get, right. You're, so you're not going <laughs> to give yourself the chance to develop that skill. So it's never going to stick. Whereas what a tour pros? So let's take Ricky Fowler, who's been working on his swing for a while. We look at his scores and say there's something wrong. Something's not working. But he and his coach are looking at something completely different. And they're saying, okay, we're getting there. We're getting closer. We're, we're working on the same thing. We, we look at it and say, he's working on the same thing and it's not working. That's a, right. that's a problem. But he and John Tillery are working on the same thing, which means they're getting better at it. And all yeah. of a sudden things start to turn around and get a little bit better. And you'll see it continue to get better through time. So what you have to do is identify, one, identify the biggest weakness in your game. For some players, it'll be their tee shots. For some players, it'll be too many three putts. For some players, it'll be uh, it, it'll be a really bad short game. Identify your biggest problem and then develop a game plan on how you're going to fix it. Don't just go practice short game without having an idea in mind. You got ident- So now you take it a step farther. Let's say short game is your biggest problem. Well, why? Is it because you hit some shots thin, some shots fat, because you can't control distance, because you can't control spin? Um, Do you not know how to identify a lie? What is the biggest problem now in that bucket? And then develop the skills you need to solve that problem. And so that to me, that's the biggest problem amateurs with limited time have in their practices. It's not organized enough. Yeah, and they're not willing to... Because I imagine, because like, I know how it goes. I, I'll I'll try something new and then I'll try it out on the course. And after nine holes, I'm like, this isn't going so well. I'm going to go back to the old thing and I'm going to forget about it. I almost have to be willing to have a bad round or two. I might be maybe more than that. Like to hit to hit bad shots, trying to figure something out because figuring it out is more valuable than the 88 that I shot when it should have been an 83 or something. And like that. you just said it. That's the the score is the problem. Right. You're, you're using your score to determine whether or not you played a great round or not. Hmm. When, when you're working on something, you got to learn how to keep a different score. 
So let's take a slicer. It's just an easy example. You're, let's take a slicer. And it's ev- everybody um, does it. So we might everybody well just use does that one. <laughs> so I've gone through this whole process. Listen mm-hmm. to this show. I say, okay, I'm going to develop a plan. The slice is the biggest problem in my game, so I'm going to fix it. Okay, I, now I realize I need to strengthen my grip, bow my left wrist at the top of the backswing. Well, in your next round, the score isn't the determinant of success or mm. failure. The determinant of success or failure is how many shots spun to the left, how many shots spun to the right. Your count, you're keeping score differently. Interesting. I didn't miss a single shot to the right. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Whereas if yeah. you shoot 46 on the first nine, yeah, and but you hit everything to the left, now you change it and you bail, and now you've got you've made no progress. You're absolutely right because that is exactly how. Okay, so changing the way we score it, I love that. That's a great takeaway um, right. because that is, yeah, it's counterintuitive. And it's not how people are doing it. Here's here's something else I think about a lot. Um, so I go to the range and I hit, you know, I hit ten. 52 degree wedges. Then I hit 10 pitching wedges. Then I hit 10 nine irons or whatever. And I am, and as I'm on my fifth, sixth and seventh of those, I'm starting to feel really comfortable. But my problem is I don't get an opportunity on the golf course to hit five consecutive nine irons. Do you think it is a better way to practice? If I, if maybe after I got warmed up, I went to the range and I hit a driver and then my next shot was a seven iron. And then my next one was a wedge. And my next one was a three wood. And my next one was a four. You know what I mean? So I'm not, so I'm kind yeah. of doing muscle confusion almost if it was a workout type of thing. So that my brain, like, I, like it's, it doesn't matter if I can hit a seven iron 10 times in a row. I'm never going to do that on the golf course. Well, see, this is a level along the way. It depends on where you are in the journey. Everybody's on a journey. If you're still spinning your wheels and you're, just banging balls when you go to the range doing that honestly isn't going to do you any good Mm. so what you want to do that is what the way you practice when you're trying to take a skill you've developed and test it Hmm. when you're trying to get a skill you've developed from the range to the course it's not something to do when you're learning a new technique Hmm. so as you're let's say again you're fixing your slice you're going to work on fixing your slice and it's okay if it takes you 20 balls with a seven iron to fix it in fact, in my first lessons, when we're learning a new skill, you're not changing clubs at all. You're going to start with an eight iron or a seven iron. It's usually one of those two. And you're going to have four practice sessions with one club. And right. then once you've developed the skill, you can gradually change because you don't want success or failure with one club to derail you from the path. So you got to. My job as a coach is to tell you what to do and then keep you on the path. So a lot of my lessons with longtime students have been the same lesson over a period of time. And it just simply, it it turns into, that's why I consider myself a coach more Mm -hmm. so than an instructor, because I'm trying to keep you on the path. And, and this mistake that you make as an, as a recreational player is you get off the path quickly. As, as soon as you hit a bad shot, you're off the path. Right. And that's a huge, that's why you never get better. So, um, there's a point in time for that, Rick, where you want to start mixing up clubs or you want to bring the golf course to the range. But that is, say, level... uh, Well, so the levels levels of performance. (laughs) There's seven, right? We have seven. One, you can... And it's all based around a skill. So level one is you can do it on the range. Um, Mm -hmm. Just do it, with not even with a ball. Level two is you can do it 
with a ball on the range. Level three is you can do it with the ball on the range to a target. Oh, okay. Okay. So now I can hit it. I can hit it at a, at the, the flag or at that bunker or whatever. I can do it to a target and I can hit my target. Now level four is doing it on the golf course. Mm -hmm. Level five is doing it, um, on the golf course consistently, right. To shoot a score. Level six is doing it in a tournament in competition. And level seven is doing it in competition on Sunday to win a major. Okay. So these are all the, these are all the levels (laughs) that it could be your major, right? It could be your club championship. It doesn't have to be the U S open. All right. But whatever your major is, can you do it on the last day when, when it's determined who wins and who loses? Got it. When it's all on the the highest level. So yeah. if you're if you're just learning how to hit it, uh, how to do it on the range, one out of those five balls you've hit with a seven iron, then you're not ready to do it on the range to a target. You're not ready to do it on the golf course. And when you get to that place where you can do it on the range to a target and the golf course is next, that's a big hurdle for people. Uh, it's a very common hurdle and it's a place where things get more difficult. And that's where you do the drill you just suggested, Rick where now I want to bring the, I want to start bringing the golf course to the range. Mm. That's, that's a big um, discrepancy people have. I can't bring my game from the range to the course. Well, you're not bringing the golf course to the range and you need to do that. I've I've never heard it that way. Yeah. I've always heard I can't take my, my range game to the course. Are there, are there other things like that? Like I, I try to, like, I feel like I'm at whatever that level is, right. Where I'm just trying to like, I want to take practice very seriously. I want to turn it into uh, good scores on the golf course. Like when I, when I'm at the range, I used to find myself a lot just lining up straight and hitting it straight down the range. Now I pick out targets and I try to change them up shot after shot. Are there things like that, that people at level two or at level three, like should be, should be considering trying. Um, yeah. The easiest thing to do is aim across the range. It is, it sounds so simple. What is that? You're not across. Yeah. Describe that. So let's, yeah. Good idea. You're right. I, I, people are going to lose. They're going to get smacked in the face if they just, I don't want any of that. You're, you're not hitting at anybody, but so what you're going to do is the range is a rectangle. Okay. Let's say the T box is a rectangle. Go all the way to the right side or all the way to the left side. And your instinct is to hit straight you're going to hit perpendicular to the front of the tee box, right? You're going to hit perpendicular to the rope that they have in front of you or whatever. You're, you're going to hit straight out when you, um, take that and aim diagonally across the range. That's a much better word for it. You're not going to hit, hit down a line of 60 people when you start hitting diagonally. So you're no longer perpendicular to uh, the rope line or to the row of golf balls or whatever. Now, everything changes and you'll see it. If you, if you do that, all of a sudden your success, when you've hit those first couple of balls, will go, it will go away. It's amazing. And, um, and ultimately the more you practice hitting diagonally across the range, it's going to be more like the golf course. It gives you that freedom to aim where you want to aim. It's going to give you the freedom to aim at a target in the distance rather than aim at uh, targets or where things near you force you to aim. And that's great when you get on a tee box that's poorly aimed. You see, oh, this tee box is setting me up right in the woods. If it doesn't point me down the middle of the fairway, I'm in trouble. Right. Um, Or another one that you don't even think about is when you're near the edge of the fairway. 
you're you're at the let's say you're on the right side of the fairway um a couple of feet away from the intermediate cut well that's yeah. another line that is, is yeah. influencing your aim yeah. right and so when you can practice on the range going diagonally across the range you free yourself of that and you learn how to aim where you want you're in control of it uh, nobody else wow Okay. I've got, I've got a lot of aiming things to, uh, consider. I've got a lot of, uh, different practice techniques that I want to do. And I've got to, yeah. I've got to, okay. My big takeaway from this has been changing the score that, that to me personally, and I hope that I, that resonates with some listeners and maybe other things will, but changing the score of what you're trying to do, because I would definitely be guilty of trying something on the range, trying to take it to the course, shooting a bad score but it might not be related to my score. It might be the fact that, oh, okay, maybe I'm not losing things out to the right or whatever it is. So right. I need to adjust. You're absolutely my, right. My expectations a little bit and change the score. That's my big takeaway. So. Yeah, because you you have to understand how scoring in the game is achieved. And it's yeah. achieved through, um, quite frankly, I mean, it's it. you need to be very precise. You have to understand distance control. And, and you can improve with shooting worse scores, you can actually make improvements. For instance, you're a slicer and you hit the ball a certain distance with your irons. You make these corrections that we talked about earlier. And all of a sudden you're going to hit the ball farther. You're going to start hitting it over greens and that's going to dramatically impact your score. Then the next thing you're going to do is take less club the next time, but you're not going to, you're not going to trust yourself. You're not going to believe it. You're going to think I can't hit a nine iron. 150 yards and now you're going to make a bad swing you're going to think about hitting your nine iron 150 it takes time to trust that distance but until you trust that distance you're not going to score so don't expect don't expect yourself to score well when you when you, if you've made a really big improvement a really big change if you've developed a new skill it should negatively impact your score before it positively impacts your score unless unless you topped it off the tee and you learned how to get it in the air, right? Those are, that's something that can save you 10, 15 shots. That, that's a different level. I'm talking about changing your ball flight, going from a slicer to a drawer or vice versa. It should negatively impact your score before it positively impacts your score. But that doesn't mean you're not improving, which is the most important aspect of that. Well, there you go. You heard it from Greg Ducharme, one of the best young teachers in America, that it is okay if your score gets worse before it gets better. Greg, you are the man. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to lead to uh, a lot more discussions where I get to just ask you questions about my game and uh, I get hope lessons so. from you. <laughs> I, Rick, I, I, had a I had a blast tonight. There's so much. There's so much more we can get into. I love it. Well, you can follow Greg on Twitter at the real GFD where, where, okay. You're on course record. Just tell the people where, if they need more Greg, where can they find it? Um, the most, the most regular places on Sirius XM on, um, PGA tour radio, SXM 92. Uh, I'm on a new breed of golf. Um, Michael breed and I do that show every Monday through Friday from eight to 10 Eastern. Um, so you can hear plenty of me there. And um, course record is on Monday nights at seven Eastern on CBS Sports Network. The first cup podcast. We do not a, not a ton of instruction, but you'll hear a little bit. Of, you'll hear some insight there. So um, and, and you can catch that. That's daily. I'm typically on Mondays, uh, Sundays, Fridays um, and sometimes twice on Sunday. So you can find me there plenty, too. 
There you go. I love it. Greg is the man. Uh, you can follow him again on Twitter at the real GFD. This has been 300 yards to unknown and we'll catch you next time.